Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Sydney, it's quite a uh, mysterious episode this week. It is. Justin, we, we get a lot of suggestions from our, our wonderful listeners as to what topics we should cover on this show, and uh, that it's the source of, I would say at this point, the vast majority come mm-hmm. from those suggestions. What do the people want to know? Uh, yeah. And so I always appreciate that. And usually if I see a couple emails with the same topic suggestion, it's because it's something that's been in the news recently. And so people have heard about it and want to know more. Uh, so when I got two emails from two separate individuals within several hours of each other that both suggested that I talk about a medication a blood thinner is what it's known as, although that name is sort of misleading, but warfarin. I thought, hmm, I wonder what warfarin-related news has occurred. Mm-hmm. And so I Googled that, and I could not find a recent warfarin controversy happening, Anything. case, Nothing issue. exciting. No, uh, but it is an interesting topic, and I thought, well, the, the universe and these two listeners— Want me to talk about Warfarin. As Bokanon says, peculiar episode suggestions are dancing lessons from God. Mm. So now we will do the dance of the oral anticoagulant. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about Warfarin. And before you stop the recording or before you stop the, the show, uh, I know that sounds boring, but it's not. I promise. No. Are you caring? It's Warfarin. It sounds... Um, Medieval. It sounds uh, threatening and dangerous and powerful. You you probably know somebody who's been on war. It's a it's warfarin's been around for a long time, and it is for for the longest time it was the only option we had to take a blood thinner in pill form. And so you, I know this sounds strange, but Coumadin, warfarin, same thing. You've probably heard of it. Uh, Several of our listeners actually want us to talk about it. Matthew, Why would anybody Nikki, want their blood to be thinner? I'm going to tell you. Mine's great. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Matthew, Nikki, Lauren, Megan, Katie, Damien, and Ginger for suggesting this. It is an the interesting history. I I don't believe it was Nicki Minaj. Poss- could have been It Nicki was Minaj. absolutely not. It was not Nicki Minaj. Okay. I don't know. Maybe she's a fan. That'd be nice. Yeah, it'd be nice. I mean, Love I'd diver. like that. Uh, anyway, so back in the 1920s. Some cattle were dying. Mysteriously. Mm. 
So there were some sheep too, but the focus of this was on the cows. For whatever reason, people weren't as concerned about the sheep. Those twilight werewolves are at it again. It was the cows. And people, the cattle persons, are they farmers or ranchers? Or cow, cowmen? Well, the farmer and the cowman should be friends, so I know that they are two discreet individuals. The farmer tries. The farmer, I think, the farmer keeps them pulls in place. a plow, and the no. other one has to milk a cow. Ca- no, no, the, the one farmer has to keeps milk them in place, and the cowboy takes them from place to place. He's like the driver, right? And the farm farmer is like the hotel owner for cows sure the, so i don't want to i'm trying to avoid i'm trying to stay the layman terms for you sydney but that's the basic idea so the cattle persons <laughs> noticed that their cows were dying and they were not just dying they were bleeding and sometimes these were episodes of spontaneous bleeding they would find that their cow had died and they'd had some sort of bleeding and they didn't know why there was no injury there was no trauma there was no Twilight werewolf attack. (laughs) The cow was just was just dead and they were worried about that. And then they also found that there were these episodes of excessive bleeding following sort of a minor injury or, for instance, I guess dehorning is a thing that happens. Taking horns off. Okay. Or um, they were castrating some bulls. Hmm. And and anyway, these sort of procedural things which should not cause a great deal of hemorrhaging uh, caused so much that the animals were actually dying. Hmm. And this was unusual, obviously. Yeah. Everybody was very concerned because... That's not even how how cows are supposed to work, really. No, that's not how cows work. And that's, one, it's it's very sad. And two, like, it's their livelihood. So, so very concerning. Uh, So they began to investigate. Uh, I think it's uh, sad I would question you on because I think if I'm a cow... And I like I saw what happened to those other guys. Like this is fine. <laughs> like this is okay. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm not. A cow. I don't know. I'm not a cow. I can't see their heart. But it seems like I'd be, eh, you know. Either way. Okay. These farmers were concerned. Yes, it's sad for the farmers for sure. And so they begin to I try to you find. You can even sell uh, the the burgers and steaks from a cow that mysteriously died from bleeding for no, no reason. You know, I, I don't know the rules on that, but I guarantee um, mysterious illness in the cow is a an automatic. Yeah, it's an automatic di- rule that disqualification yeah. for yes, for eating or any other purposes other than trying to figure out what happened. Right. That would be my guess. Uh, after some investigation, they began to connect the diets of these specific cows with the bleeding episodes. Thumbtacks. Why did we <laughs> give them thumbtacks? No, not thumbtacks. They seemed to occur after the cattle had grazed on sweet clover hay, and not just the sweet clover hay, but specifically sweet clover hay that had gotten wet and then somewhat moldy. Mm. And I guess traditionally, if your if your hay gets moldy, you don't feed it to the cows. You throw it out. Is at least what. This is, I am not an agricultural expert, but this is my understanding from what I've read is that you, you generally say, well, let's get some fresh hay, but it was the 1920s. It was tight. Not a lot of hay to go around. Exactly. Well, I mean, I don't think there was a hay shortage. I think there's a money shortage. It's a big problem. I mean, at individual farms, that did just mean like on earth. (laughs) Yes. And so the farmers were a little more inclined to use the wet hay or the moldy hay than they would have been otherwise because they needed something. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they got you got to feed them. You sure, feed yeah. the cows. Uh, so they began to notice this connection, and uh, there were there were some recommendations that kind of came out pretty early on, saying like, hey. Maybe it's this moldy hay. Maybe we should all stop using it. We don't really know why, but we think this is a problem. Uh, But they weren't necessarily followed, these recommendations, because people, I don't know, either they didn't buy it or there was no Internet. So maybe they just didn't hear about it or they had to use it. Uh, But they began referring to the condition as sweet clover disease. So they knew there was a connection. They didn't know exactly why. So there were two local veterinary surgeons that were instrumental in figuring this out. Um, One, uh, Frank Schofield, and two, Lee Roderick. And both of them figured out pretty quickly that if you use fresh hay and not moldy hay, that fixed the problem. So there was something with the mold that was the issue. Uh, They also found that if you transfuse the cow with some blood, that fixed it. Hmm. So just give them new blood, and that seemed to fix the issue. Um, uh, Frank Schofield was a Canadian veterinary pathologist, and uh, he did some experiments at first to, like, replace it all with fresh hay and, and figure that kind of stuff out. He, he actually with uh, rabbits. He worked with rabbits and gave them moldy hay and fresh hay and figured all this out. Okay. In case you're curious. I mean, it's a way to spend an afternoon, no doubt. <laughs> uh, and And again, they began to spread the word. You know, that they'd figured this out. Please stop using moldy hay. But people still weren't listening. <laughs> but they love it. So Look at them go crazy for it. So by the, and they even at this point had called it a, Roderick called it a plasma prothrombin defect. So they knew it was something to do with the blood's ability to clot. There, You eat moldy hay, your blood doesn't clot. We don't know exactly why yet, but we know that this is a problem. That should be good enough, honestly, for this time period. <laughs> trust, just trust us on this one. But uh, people were still doing it. And by the 1930s, there was a Wisconsin farmer named Ed Carlson who was just, he was fed up with this. So he loves moldy hay and his cows love moldy hay. And no scientist nerd is going to get in the way of that. So another one of his cows died from sweet clover disease. So he, he hauled the cow 200 miles on his shoulder. No, I don't think he carried. I used the car. You know, I don't have the. I don't. I do not have the documentation to prove that he used a car, but we're going to assume mm-hmm. there was a car involved that he did not carry the cow two hundred miles to an agricultural. He could have also brought it on like a, a cart, like a horse-drawn cart, maybe. I guess that's true. It's possible. There's <laughs> lots of ways to carry a dead cow. Take it from me. <laughs> How many? Would you like to list any more? Cannon. Mm. Well-aimed cannon. Okay. Let's move on from this. So he took the cow to an agricultural experimental station. And he he said there was a biochemist there named Carl Link. And he said, hi, this is my. This dead is cow. A, <laughs> my <dead> cow. Douglas. <laughs> he had sweet clover disease. And here is a here is a can a milk can full of unclotted blood for you to examine too from from said cow. Please figure out what the deal is here. Please help us. Uh, so Link and his colleagues started working to figure out what exactly is the cause. Why? What is the association with moldy hay? Um, they uh, they did a lot of scientific work on it, and by 1940, it took them six years mm. to figure this that out. That cow must have stunk. <laughs> no, Justin, <laughs> Justin. So they figured out that in uh, hay. Actually, in a lot of plants, there's a there's a substance called coumarin. Okay. Okay. 
It's present in, like I said, lots of plants. It is actually what causes the sweet smell in like freshly cut grass oh. or hay or something like that. Or um, plants like sweet grass or sweet clover. That's where they get their name. Coumarin. Coumarin. From this substance that is naturally in the plants and makes them smell sweet. When hay becomes moldy, the coumarin becomes oxidized. Okay, and all you need to know is that it changes into a slightly different compound, which we know mainly as dicumerol. Dicumerol can cause you to bleed. So this was the problem. Coumarin itself was not the issue. It was the the process that happens when the hay became moldy, Mm. turned it into something that was dangerous and would make you bleed easier and also have spontaneous bleeding episodes. So they figured out and found the substance dicumerol from this. Um, And at this point, they uh, began to figure out like dicumerol, is it the best thing to use? Um, Because we could we could use this like we found something that thins the blood. Oh, we have isolated the substance now. We've actually backed into the cure at this point versus the. The issue. Well, we found the issue. The issue was the moldy hay. But then we turned it to our advantage. But then we f- we thought, well, we could do something with this. This I like. Yes. I mean, spontaneous bleeding is a bad thing, but sometimes, as we'll get into, there are medical conditions that make you wish you didn't clot so much. So maybe dicumarol could be the answer. So they uh, they began working on... Uh, they, first, they got a patent for dicumarol in 1941. Then they began working to refine it at the Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation, which is abbreviated WARF. Oh! And we're about to get into... Oh, my! We're about to get into uh, what came of this. But first, let's head to the billing department. Let's go! The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got at two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. 
Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So we were, we just got into the exciting, I feel like you kind of, if you'll pardon the expression, uh, gave the milk away for free uh, with that last reveal of Worf. Worf. It's like the Paul Harvey twist happened before the break, but Sorry. I am I'm on pins and needles still to so, see how this all plays out. So you may remember the Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation, Worf, I, has I, patented. I don't remember. It was minutes ago. <laughs> they have patented dicumerol. Uh, which they began to think could be used maybe as initially the idea was as a rodenticide, a rat poisoning. Mm. That was the first thought of how we could, how we could take advantage of this. Uh, but what they discovered pretty quickly is that dicumerol it, itself acted very slowly. And so it wasn't very practical if you were trying to rid your home of rats. <laughs> I just have to. I have to watch them sort of slip away into the twilight over the months, just like yeah. a little slower in the step and just a little, <laughs> little more of a struggle getting back into that hole and so this, just slowly sort of wind down and sunset. There's time for rat hospice. I'm not going to go into the whatever the thought process was, was behind like we have a blood thinner. I want to <laughs> use it to kill rats. I know one there's, good thing that's gonna be for. There's a piece. There's a piece there that is missing for me, and I cannot answer no. for you. You can fill that blank in on your own. But uh, so they they started working with other variations on coumarin, not just dicumarol, but are there other ways we could like other reactions that would cause a more potent uh, anticoagulant? Mm-hmm. That's anti-clotting substance. Um, and they found one. Uh, number 42, and they named the compound Warfarin. Warfarin. Warf, because of the funding agency. Warf. And then Arin, because of the ending of Coumarin. So, Warfarin. Is Warfarin a proper noun? Or is that just what the, the substance is called? Is Warfarin it is the name? generic name. Okay. Yeah. The, generic. The, without getting into, there are dozens of brand names of Warfarin. Uh, most commonly, you've probably heard Coumadin. I know that is the Coumadin. one in the U.S., at least in this part of the U.S., that is most popularly used. Um, most people maybe haven't even heard of Warfarin, but have heard of Coumadin. 
um, which sounds like coumarin, but isn't the same thing. Because as I mentioned, coumarin is not an anticoagulant in and of itself. No. Coumadin is. Um, it's warfarin. Uh, but initially, all that warfarin was marketed as was a, was a rat poisoning. Uh, that was all people used it as. In 1948, it came out. And it was, uh, it was very um, highly publicized. It's like a great, great thing to use to kill rats. Nobody was considering using it in humans initially until in 1951, uh, someone actually took multiple doses of warfarin, of rat poisoning, in an attempt to uh, take their own life. And what they, when they got to the hospital, when this individual got to the hospital, they gave him doses of vitamin K to reverse it. And we already mm-hmm. kind of knew this could work as an antidote to the rat poisoning. And... I don't know how I don't know how interested anybody is in the mechanism of action of warfarin. I'm are you kidding me? <laughs> so just to just to very briefly cuz I mean if you if you want to know there's a whole your blood has multiple factors that help it that helps it clot. Okay. It's not a one thing. It's not like I mean you've probably heard of platelets they help your blood clot. Sure they, but there's yeah. a whole yep. cascade of events that occur to help you clot when you're bleeding to help stop the bleeding and help your blood clot. Specifically, there are certain factors that depend on vitamin K. You can get vitamin K from food. Specifically green leafy things. So vitamin K is in our diet. We give vitamin K to newborns to make sure they have plenty to prevent hemorrhage right away, to prevent babies from having any bleeding episodes right away. It's actually a really important thing that we do right when they're born. If you ever have somebody tell you that that you shouldn't do that, don't listen to them. You should absolutely do that. It's totally safe and it saves lives. Uh, That's one of those. It's it's like with the anti-vax thing. People will say no to this. You can't can't say no in most states, but, but if you can, don't. Say yes, it's important. So anyway, uh, there is a specific enzyme, vitamin K epoxide reductase. The important thing you need to know is that this enzyme has to function in order for the vitamin K to help make all the little clotting factors that it needs to. Mm-hmm. Warfarin inhibits it. Got warfarin it. blocks it. So because it works on the vitamin K, warfarin is easily re- is easily reversed. By just giving the person more vitamin K. Why would you want to reverse it, practically speaking? So in this case, you wanted to reverse it because this person had taken well, yes, many doses of warfarin. Yes. They were bleed. They, I don't know if they were bleeding or they feared that they could bleed. Uh, so vitamin K will turn that around so that they won't bleed to death. Uh, why you would want to now is that, and we'll get into this too, Warfarin is kind of a tricky medication to take and manage Mm. appropriately. Mm -hmm. And you can, there's a very narrow therapeutic range. There's Mm. a very specific range. Vitamin K can kind of bump you back up. We have a way to push it back. If you get, if your blood, I'm going to say gets too thin or too thick, but that is not what is happening. It's important to know with blood thinners, the viscosity of your blood is not changing. Are you kidding me? No. This is completely new information to me. No, these do not change the viscosity in any way. So it's not thickening or thinning the blood. No, it's just clotting. I had no idea about this. You could not have told me this. I've been picturing all these cows with this watery blood. No. I mean, it would be watery in the sense that you'd expect it to clot and it wouldn't, but it's not thinner or thicker. Okay. I know. we, We use these terms because it's easier than 
for dum-dums like me. No, But then you no. pull the rug out from underneath. It doesn't say psych. It wasn't that at all, ever. It's a good It's a good way of explaining to people who are not in the sciences how these medications work. The life juice inside <laughs> your skin bag is a thick, like honey. Do you know honey? But they're not. It has nothing to do... It has nothing to do with the viscosity. Anyway, it I understand that. It, it, it I understand matter. that. I've been lied to by the establishment. We haven't. It's just an easy. Sometimes you have to come up with good analogies. It's sort of like your blood's too thin. Got it. Anyway, we got ahead of ourselves. So because of this episode, they began to do studies on the use of warfarin in humans. Would there be an amount that we could use in people? Yes, it was initially a rat poisoning. But could we use a certain amount in people that would actually be helpful? And you have to know at this point in time, we had other blood thinners. That could be a whole other show getting into the history of of blood thinners in general. Uh, But the blood thinners that we had had to be injected. We didn't have anything you could take like in a pill Mm -hmm. at home. This was a this was a new idea. And so this was very exciting. Is there something that we could give people who have issues where they clot too much? And these could be people who have um, have had clots in their legs, deep vein thrombosis, like DVT. People who've had clots in their lungs, like a pulmonary embolus. Uh, people who have had um, who have something called atrial fibrillation, which is when their heart beats abnormally, and because they're the upper part of their heart kind of quivers, blood can collect and clot in there, and those clots can shoot off to places like your brain and cause a stroke. So. The use, some sort of medication that could prevent that clotting from happening was very useful to certain patients. So this was very exciting because up to that point, all they had was stuff they could give you by shot. Right. This would be a pill. So they started working with it to figure out, you know, how can we, how can we use this? And by 1954, they had started selling Coumadin, which was the original brand name for Warfarin. Um, one of the first people to receive uh, Warfarin was uh, Eisenhower. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. He was prescribed it after a, he had a heart attack in 1955. And that was, that was used back then after, after a heart attack. Um, it, you know, it's, it, I, I mentioned to you the mechanism of action, how it works, how Warfarin blocks this certain enzyme. And so then vitamin K isn't there, so you don't get clotting factors. You know, we actually didn't figure that out until 78. <laughs> we were using it for a long time before yeah, we figured out. For like, eh. Yeah, before we figured out How exactly. How does this work? <laughs> well, and, and I mean, we, we knew it had something to do with vitamin K because we knew vitamin K could reverse it. But beyond that, it was. We didn't know. Yeah. Uh, but then we figured it out. But all of this that I've mentioned, and this is kind of the, the end, the, the Warfarin story I don't know if it's coming to a close now really? at this point in medical history, but warfarin, as great as it was at the moment, it was such an important medical breakthrough to have something that you could take by mouth that would thin your blood, so to speak, thin your blood and help prevent strokes and clots in your lungs and all those things. It was such an important breakthrough, but it wasn't a perfect medication. So as I mentioned, vitamin K is in your food. So you have to be very careful what you eat if you're taking warfarin. Because mm, you can undo it. Yes. If you eat too much vitamin K, then the warfarin isn't going to work. If you, let's say that you eat three salads a week and one week you decide not to eat those salads, then the warfarin might be working too well because you've eaten less vitamin K. 
So it. I, I tell people, I try to warn people about salads. No one will listen. <laughs> It's not that it's what I usually tell people is it's not that you have to avoid green leafy vegetables. I certainly don't want you to do that. It's that you have to eat pretty much the same amount of green leafy vegetables every week. You have to decide what that is. Eat that every week. Well, regulate your warfarin to match it and then never change. And that's hard. I mean, that's, you know, I know, especially for us with our as much as we travel, to try to predict what I was going to eat every week, that would be a very difficult thing to do. And it yeah. is for a lot of people. It's also warfarin acts differently in everybody. There are some uh, genetic variations that can make warfarin behave a little differently in your body. So the dose that you'll need of warfarin, we don't know until we start giving you some and measure mm. certain things and then figure out what's best for you. So what we had to do early on after we started using warfarin was figure out a way to measure was it active enough in your body? Was it, you know, doing what it needed to do? And was it too active? Mm. Was it, you know, making you too likely to bleed? Um, so they started using a prothrombin time, which is just how it, think about it as a way of measuring how fast your blood clots. Okay. But what they needed to do was kind of find a ratio because it's not just how fast your blood clots. It's how fast it clots in comparison to the norm. So they came up with a number eventually that we call the INR, which just stands for the International Normalized Ratio. So it's just a ratio, essentially. How fast is you, a person who's on warfarin, how fast is your blood clotting compared to me, a person who is not on warfarin? Okay. And that number is how we keep track. It's it's We'll say things like it's like your warfarin activity level. That's sort of what it is. Um, but it's a way of measuring are you on the right dose or not? Okay. And it's important when you're on warfarin, we have to keep that in that very specific range that we know is good for you. So like for most people, they need their INR to be two to three. Ours is one, by the way, around one. There's a narrow range, but that's the normal is one. Okay. About one. But somebody would probably need it to be two to three. Some people need it to be 2.5 to 3.5. These are very specific numbers. Yeah, it's like a lot of margin for error. Yes, and while there are home kits that some lucky people have, and there are places where you can go get like a little finger stick to get your INR checked, there are other patients who have no option but to go to a lab and get a blood draw to check this level. Hmm. When you're first starting warfarin, you could need it checked every day. Now, once you're stable on a dose, it can be much less often than that. You know, it can be every few weeks. Unless you get salad crazy. Exactly. Or there are a whole variety of medications that can interfere with the metabolism of warfarin. Mm. So there are a lot antibiotics are a big culprit. So people will be doing really well on their warfarin dose and then they'll have to take an antibiotic for something and it goes, their level goes all out of whack. Um, and then they have to come back in and get it monitored and we have to change things. And Bummer. yes. So because of all this, warfarin in recent years is starting to be replaced by newer meds. That aren't as hard to manage, I'm assuming. That's exactly the point. So they have found uh, newer medications that don't have anything to do with vitamin K. So the nice thing is it doesn't matter what you eat. They don't, they are not influenced by your green leafy vegetables. So eat as many or as few as you so desire. Done. Uh, you don't have to have any levels checked. The INR is, it doesn't matter that you don't monitor that. They're fixed doses, essentially. Okay. This is just the dose you take. This is you know, the uh, appropriate dose. Um, there are fewer med interactions. So the mechanism is like completely different. It's just different. Yeah. They're just different medications. And so they will still, you know, in, they will still keep you from clotting, but you don't have to do all that other stuff. 
Um, so for some patients, warfarin is still the best choice because of there, there's certain things we're not sure about, like kidney conditions and things that make warfarin a better choice. Okay, on that. Yeah. Um, because I mean, it's been around since the fifties. Sure. So we have decades to know what it, when it is safe, when it's not. But in many patients, they're choosing these newer agents, um, because they're so much easier to manage. So we may, we may send, see an end to warfarin someday in, in terms of its use in humans, just because it, it is cumbersome to manage. It's not a bad med. It's easily reversed, which some of the newer agents don't have easy reversal the way warfarin does. Um, but yeah, if somebody came in with an INR of like 20, that would be somebody you'd want to reverse. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the, 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 to, to answer that earlier question, why would you give somebody vitamin K and reverse it? Or if somebody came in and they were bleeding, Let's say they got in an accident and they cut themselves and they were bleeding. You'd want to give them vitamin K to try to reverse the warfarin um, to stop them because they're not going to clot. You know, Sid, mm-hmm. I've only said this at the end of a handful of Sawbones episodes, but thank goodness those cheap farmers gave their cows nasty hay. You know, <laughs> the- it really all worked out in the end, didn't it? I, I mean, I guess. Everything has a purpose, Sid. Uh Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> Do you know that we don't, I thought this was interesting, we don't really use warfarin much as a rat poison in it anymore. Do you know why? <laughs> rats eating too many salads. They became resistant. Oh. Rats okay. uh, are becoming, or have become, for the most part, resistant to warfarin. They have newer agents called super warfarin <laughs> that they can use. Uh, they use them with rats and I guess sometimes in places with bats where they're close to humans to try to prevent rabies. Perfect. Um, but, uh, I, I read more than I want to know about super warfarins. I found it very upsetting and scary. Okay. Because they're just really dangerous to humans. Yeah, I wasn't going to eat any. I know, but. How many salads? Uh, oh, my God. You have to have power You have through. to take vitamin K for like a year in some cases to try to reverse it if you accidentally ingest this. That's way or intentionally ingest it. Anyway, it's, yes, they're, so they're super warfarins. Those scared me. And also, I thought this was an interesting historical note. It is possible that warfarin was used to poison Stalin, apparently. Oh, really? This is uh, much debated among historians. I think there are still a lot that just believe he had a brain hemorrhage because he had medical conditions that made it likely that he would have a brain hemorrhage. And so there was no foul play. He just had an unfortunate, well... I don't know. Well, well, it's however you whatever your feelings are on Stalin. Yeah, (laughs) he had a brain hemorrhage and it just happened and it was nobody's fault. But some argue that because he also had a hemorrhage in his stomach and some areas of hemorrhage in his heart muscle, that that seemed suspicious. Rat poison. Uh, Warfarin was very popular at that. It was being marketed very heavily all over the world at this point in history. So a lot of people would have known about it. Mm -hmm. It is odorless. It is tasteless. Mm. It could easily be slipped into a food or beverage. I don't know, uh, folks. Much like Iocane powder. Pretty <laughs> And there are some that theorize that for five to ten days prior to his death, somebody was dosing him with warfarin Dang. on the slide. It takes three days for warfarin to start working. I don't know if anybody wants to know that. That's another reason why it's hard, because it takes three days before you even know what it's going to do. So we're, we're but I, I'm not saying Stalin was murdered. I'm just, I'm saying there is a theory. Regardless, no we are dedicating this episode to his memory no we're not honor no i am not dedicating an episode of Stalin. too soon Stalin. Stalin. no (laughs) sometimes it's better to burn bright than it is to fade away stalin gone too soon no that's why i have this angel that angel wing sticker on my truck that says stalin and then the years in which he was born and died 
because gone too soon. This is not true. Still miss you, buddy. None of this is none of this is true. Anyway, it's a very interesting uh, thing you can read about from historians who know all things about Russia that I don't know. Um, I just know about Warfarin, and there it is. Are you wait to get to heaven and ask old? It's Stalin himself. Well, I, I don't mean, think Stalin knew. Folks, thank you I think so he much for probably listening. would have avoided the poison. Podcast. He knows now. <laughs> Food and beverage. He's probably checked up on it at since from heaven. Folks, thanks for listening to Sawbones. What did they teach you in church about <laughs> Happy Easter to you. Have a good Friday. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the show. Our theme song is performed by the taxpayers. And they uh, uh, are a great band. You can find more of their music on Bandcamp. Find a link at sawbones.libson.com, I think, or at maximumfund.org. You can find all the Sawbones episodes. Actually, if you go to sawbonesshow.com, we never mentioned that URL, but there it is. Uh, you can. Uh, uh, um, there are all kinds of places. There's all kinds of places. It goes direct to it. Uh, if you go to, uh, I don't even think we've talked about this on the show. If you go to mcelroymerch.com, M C E L R O Y. You can find a new um, pair of Sawbones pins that look like uh, ether and snake oil. They're pretty cool. They're enamel pins. You can get them for 20 bucks on macaroonmerch.com. So go check this out. And we got a book. It's on Amazon. It's called the Sawbones book. Go buy it. I mean, if you want to. If you want to. If you don't already have one. Makes a great gift. Hey, thank you so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode until next time my name is justin mcelroy i'm sydney mcelroy as always don't drill a hole in your head all right maximumfund.org comedy and culture artist owned Audience supported.